Um, you can put those ones maybe a little bit together. What do you think? Should we put these together, Rich? You, you tell us for the camera angle, so I don't know what's best. But it, we thought it would be awesome just to hear their stories. And they travel all around the world, um, both South Africans actually, but living in, in, in America and uh, still involved in music full time. And as you've heard, obviously, the, some of the songs that Brenton has blessed us with this morning, incredible songs. And uh, yeah, privileged to have you guys today. And welcome, welcome to our church, Open Skies. Thanks for having us. Thank you. This guy can never be serious, just by the way, okay? If you've watched any of my Instagram stories in the last few days, um, it's not possible. Yeah, it features myself eating one of those massive tomahawk steaks. Tomahawk steaks, that was awesome, yeah. Thanks, Hilton. And the donkey sound. Yeah, the donkey sound. Maybe you can do that later once people... Just start with that. Yeah, should we just... Since it's Father's Day... You just gotta yeah. warm into it because that's a, like a really you can't start there. But it might be serious at the end, so why don't you just give us the donkey sound? Oh, oh. There you go. <laughs> you gotta respect that. Yeah. My work here is done. <laughs> and you Yeah. Boy. You've ever heard that, babe? Yeah. And they thought you needed a sermon. Yeah. Does your wife also finish your jokes for you and give the punchline away before you've really built the story? No? No, I do that to my wife, unfortunately. Oh, do you? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> what a good man. Yeah. You and Jin should have lunch together. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> no, seriously, but it's so awesome to have you guys with us today. Um, I suppose these guys looking on don't know you. I've, obviously, we've, we've spoken a little bit about you guys <laughs> coming here, but maybe in a minute or two, just tell us like, where you're from, what you do, and where you're living at the moment. Okay, I grew, up, I grew up in Cape Town, don't judge me. And then um, I went to study in England for my sins and I stayed there for seven years or so and was part of the vineyard movement out there and um, some of the vineyard worship things that happened. And then we moved to uh, the state of California in, in the USA and I've been living there for the last 17 years. And uh, I'm a worship leader guy and, and I write songs. Some of them are okay, some of them are pretty bad. Now you know. Yeah, it's, it, Chris Martin said, how do you write, someone said, how do you write good songs? And he says, well, we write a whole bunch of songs and then we choose the least worst ones. That's, <laughs> that sounds exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that's awesome. And you've, you married uh, Jude and you've got two, two girls. Yes, yeah. Married to my wife, Jude, Musenberg girl, two little California girls, Lulu and Bella. Awesome. Yeah. I actually met your wife in 1999 in, in London. How's that? She Amazing. was looking after the band that I was in. And I met Brent on guitar in 1999, roundabout in London as well. Oh, yeah. There's a lot going on in London then. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah pretty amazing to be back. Yeah. yeah. And Mr. Ornelas? Yeah, so I grew up in Cape Town. I was born in Johannesburg. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, grew up in Cape Town, though. My dad was a pastor. Actually, my dad initially was in a big rock group called Hawk back in the day. Hawk? Hawk, yeah, like a big we, rock. We, we went past the Salt Rock Hotel there the other yes. day, and he used to draw there. Yeah, yeah. My, and then he became a believer. My parents were separated when I was actually really young, uh, and then because they weren't believers at the time, my mom became a Christian, and then they got back together. Uh, and then pastored a church in Mitchell's Plain in Cape Town uh, during apartheid. So we used to drive in there during the riots. I remember during the riots in, in the 80s in, the, in Cape Town. And my dad had a gun in the safe, so I always used to say, Dad, don't you want to bring the gun with? 
And he'd say, do you want me to look after you or God to look after you? I was like, okay, I'll take God. <laughs> but we used to drive in there even though there were like Caspers on every corner. And we, so we went to church in, in Mitchell's Plain growing up. I grew up in that community and then um, met my wife, Samantha. Oh, yeah, and we got married and moved over with 363 to America. Before that, I was in a band called Naked Lyric. I don't know if anyone remembers that band. Yes, I do. Yeah, he remembers Naked Lyric. We... I see that hand. <laughs> <laughs> and so then, yeah, we, we moved to the States with Tree, and, and I kind of stayed in Nashville uh, producing records and playing with Brenton, actually. Straight after Tree kind of ended, yeah. I started touring with Brenton, and we've been playing together for 15 years, I guess. Yeah, easy. Yeah. yeah. So um, and Dan has a studio, and he's part of a, a movement called, is it Worship Artistry, where they, they're a resource to worship bands around the world. So they play the parts and teach people mm-hmm. around the world. So yeah. he's the bass player. Yeah. Purgatory. <laughs> I wish we had time today to tell stories about your church growing up with that one guy who passed out. And then oh, yeah. Amazing stories. He came and drunk off the streets of... Yes, yeah, so I'll tell a story quickly. Okay, but I'm, just tell I'm, it quick. I'm better, I'm better than Okay, you, you no, tell it. Yeah. So I used to, we used to sit on the front row and, then, and it was raining and, and a homeless guy came in from the, from the streets and he was sitting on the front row next to us. He had checkers packets on his feet because he didn't want his shoes to get wet. So he came into church and then, uh, and then there was a guy that got prayed for and he fell down and so he was lying there and this guy was just looking at him. He was very drunk but he was just looking at this guy. And then at one stage, he just decided. He went and he pinched the guy's nose closed. <laughs> and, the, and the guy was lying there, and he didn't know what was going on. So eventually he went, <gasps> uh, That's probably how he woke up his drunk friends. Yeah. He, blocking the nose. Checking if there are signs of life. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, we discovered this last night. This is amazing. I actually met uh, Dan's sister and his dad um, at a festival. I think there's a picture up on the screen. That's Dan's dad in the middle and his sister on the left. And that's Brandon. All right, he's an actor. He acted in Elysium yeah. and Seven Delon and Chappie. Anyway, so that's, that's Dan's dad in the middle there. How's that? That was before I met you. That's me up there without a beard on the left. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't know if your sister would be too no. impressed with that. <laughs> anyway, um, seeing as it's Father's Day, and uh, I wanted to ask you guys, what, if, if you're keen to share with us today, what were, you, were you, your, your father's passed away, which we'll talk about in a moment, but what were your fathers like to you, if you could tell us, and what impact did that have on you as, as a father? Because I suppose in a room like this, we were talking about the other day, they were saying, that did a survey where 80 to 90 percent of people didn't have a good relationship with their father. So you're incredibly blessed if you had a good relationship with your father. Um, how are they like with you? Yeah. So, um, like I said, when I was about five, my dad came to the Lord. Uh, before that, we were living in Zimbabwe with my grandparents, and my mom and dad were separated, you know, on and off. Um, and, uh, but from when my parents came to the Lord, there was like a real strength there and they went to Bible school and um, I really grew up in an amazing home. Our home was like a railway station for people that were needing help. We'd always have someone coming through there that we're ministering to or people from overseas that would come stay with us. And so I was around lots and lots of people growing up. Um, and my dad was just a great example. On stage, he was like a lion. He was like a really amazing performer. But really, when he was actually a very chilled guy off stage and my mom would be the crazy one in the group of people. Um, but he, he's, um, 
his love for the Lord and his kind of example to me was, was, you know, the thing, the reason why I didn't want to step out of line wasn't because I was going to get a hiding or, you know, something like that. It was more like I didn't want to disappoint my dad, who I knew really loved me deeply. So that, that kind of um, relationship was, was more like the father in heaven. You know, we, we don't step out, and you're not fearful of stepping out of line because God's going to hit you with a stick, but you can't, you know, you want to live for him based out of a different motivation, and that's um, because you know how much, how dearly your father loves you. And so that example of a father that loves me was, was the thing that kept me uh, walking with, with the Lord through all the years, because I was a pastor's son, and most pastor's sons, <laughs> most pastor's sons don't really so get naughty. away. Yeah, we're pretty naughty. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so to walk with the Lord, that example was really awesome. And the, and the way he loved my mom was, was really special to see. Uh, and he just, yeah, he just lived Jesus in front of us. Yeah. That's awesome. And you? Um, yeah, I, I'm fortunate. I guess I'm the 10%. I, and I still have a great relationship with my dad. Love my dad. Um, my parents grew up quite poor. Uh, in, my dad in Zim and my mom in East London. Um, neither of them went to university, and my mom left school at 16. Um, so they really wanted me to, they wanted to give me the stuff that they couldn't get for themselves. It's natural for a parent. And so when we moved to Cape Town, they sourced all the schools that had scholarships, um, government schools that had scholarships, and they found a school called Sachs in Newlands, and they put me in there. And my dad really encouraged me to go hard after academics. And fortunately for me, I loved it, and it went good. And I ended up, you know, it just my school career was good. I enjoyed it. Um, my walk with God wasn't awesome, but my my walk with my school buddies and teachers was great. And I was like, I was a head boy at that school, and then I went on to study at UCT. And then Sachs offers a Rhodes Scholarship to Oxford University, and I managed to win that scholarship. So this is my dad's long game. He had like a 30-year long game. He was like a coach. He was like, yes, I got you in. It, like, this is good. Now we're going to have a doctor or a lawyer, someone like that in the family. And then at the end of my studies at Oxford, um, I felt the Lord say to me, I want you to stay and work with this church plant in Oxford. <laughs> um, it wasn't cool. It wasn't a cool church plant. It was about the size of this section, and we met in a school hall, very stinky school hall. They couldn't afford to pay the worship leader, so I worked at a sandwich store. So all my buddies who left Oxford went into investment banking and management consultancy, like starting salaries were crazy. In the meantime, and I've been studying for like six years or seven years, so my other buddies in South Africa had all started their careers and they were living great. And then Jesus went, no, I want you to be here um, leading worship. So I had to have this, it was interesting, I've just felt the Lord's uh, prompted me to write a letter to my dad saying, hey dad, thank you so much for all the support and kindness you've given me over the years. But I feel like God is intercepting the plan and I'm stepping off my, your program and I'm, <laughs> and I'm stepping onto God's program. And I was nervous. I wasn't exactly pumped about it either, but I felt the Lord do it. And at the same time, he felt God saying the same thing and wrote me a letter and said, hey, I, I release you. I realize I've been quite on my post and, and getting you, coaching you quite heavily, I'm, I'm saying goodbye to that. So that's what happened that's that's, uh, in my early 20s. Those are interesting times. Yeah. That's amazing. I'm sure he's super proud of you today. I mean, just going on to do what you've done. It's just amazing how God can just change someone's whole course in a, in a moment. Hey? Yeah. I read this 
and maybe you guys want to comment on this. A father is a man who expects his son to be as good a man as he is meant to be. <laughs> the most important That's thing. That's funny to me. Because I, I do sometimes, and I prayed it earlier, I think sometimes for us, if we turn it to ourselves now, we feel like we, are we doing a good job as a father? You know, I think we have all these hopes and dreams, but you want your son, and we also do place expectation on our kids, maybe a little bit too much, but it says the most important thing in the world is family and love. Fathers like mothers are not born. Men grow into fathers, and fathering is a very important stage in their development. So it's, it's like a growth journey. I just found that really interesting. So the, role that, so the journey you guys have taken on fathering, I think you know, we're born to be selfish as people. Tell me what God's done in your life, or what, what, is you, what have you learned about yourself in being a father? Yeah, so... Um the previous generation, I f- feel like my wife and I talk about this all the time, but I never really heard my parents say, I really messed up here, I'm so sorry, um, you know, and, and, and I shouldn't have done this, I shouldn't have done that. For some reason it was like, they, I, I think they felt like if they did that, then you were going to suddenly take over the home or something weird. Yeah. But, but um, so for me, the best part of my journey has been able, being able to say to my kids, guys, I really spoke badly to your mom there, or guys, I really shouldn't have done this, or I really shouldn't have done that, and to actually learn to humble yourself in front of your kids, because they're not idiots. Kids can see through anything, and when you try and tell them to do one thing, but you're not doing the, you know, the same thing, or if you fail, yeah. if you're not able to admit your failures, then you're putting a very unrealistic expectation on your kids. So to be able to say, hey, guys, I really messed up, I'm sorry, uh, it, it's something I never learned from my parents as much as... Uh, we've kind of sussed that out for ourselves and we feel like that's much more helpful. It's make, it makes home a lot more of a safer place um, because your kids can then admit when they fail. Like our daughter, she, she's, pretty, she's a handful. She's 17, she's back in America right now. She's a cheerleader and she's, she's a full, full-on American. <laughs> much to our dismay. <clears throat> um, she does love South Africa, but she's American. And she's uh, buddies with Chloe, actually. Yeah. So just she's amazing, and and I think some of that, what we're talking about here, is has allowed her to be able to come to us and say, "Hey, Dad. Hey, Mom. You know, this or that. I've, I've you know, failed here, or I really need your help here." And to have that open dialogue with our kids, to where they can come to us first instead of finding out later that they were struggling with something for ten years and couldn't talk to us. I think some of that humility of being able to say, "Hey, guys." You know, I love you guys, and I'm sorry that I did this, or I'm sorry. It's, that doesn't make you weak to apologize to your kids. It actually makes you strong. Yeah, that's very good. Keeping the conversation open, I think, yeah, sometimes the previous generation wasn't maybe as good as that. You, didn't, you, you couldn't approach that. You know, like kids must be seen and not heard yeah. type things. So I think opening the conversation is so important. But in that as well, being vulnerable yourself, um, very good. Brenton, anything you want to add? And then the flip side, obviously, is holding your line. It's, it's hard to hold your line these days, right? Yeah. Um, I think it was easier back then with, you know, if you were the OB as the dad, if you were the O-boss, then everyone was like, well, that's what he says goes. Now, now it's more like, oh, this guy's saying sorry to me. Um, I'll yes. just keep pushing. Um, yeah. And that hard part, the hard part is to go... No, I'd love to do this for you, my darling, but this is not going to happen. And yeah. then, and then weathering, you know, weathering the response because they're not going to be like, "You're amazing, Dad. I love you." It's 
you know, it's cold war for a while. <laughs> cold yeah. war. It's cold, you're going to wait for it to thaw out and pray like crazy and, and have conversations with my wife saying, what am I doing wrong? Hold your line. So, yeah. It's true. Kids do have that ability to wear you down, eh? Yeah, yeah. Sleep, sleep deprivation and love bombing. Yes. It's like joining a cult being a dad. <laughs> and they take all your money. Yeah. 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 Is that why you wrote that song, Strength for Us? Wait. No, I need it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so talking about being worn down, um, and you said we could talk about this, something that I'd like Brenton and, and Jude, well, she's not here today, she's coming tonight, but something quite unusual is both of them uh, struggle with chronic fatigue, and it's been hugely deliberating uh, you know, over the years. I think you've also learned to manage it a little bit, but... I can't imagine what that would be like, and also trying to be parents with that. Can you tell us a little bit about that, that journey for you guys? And yeah, I mean, a questionable decision to have kids with chronic fatigue. Sure. It's like doing a tightrope walk and then adding a bicycle. Um, <laughs> but but we, we felt like we had the freedom. We waited till we were a little bit older and more established financially to do it, you know. We need lots of help. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's humbling. Um, and I think it's tough for our kids as well, you know. They're like, oh, why can't you be like the other parents? Because um, um, they grow up realizing that life, life is hard. Um, can, can you tell just what is it that you s- suffer with? Because maybe some people might not know exactly. Yeah. No, I, uh, it's, it's like not getting sleep. Like you sleep, but the sleep doesn't do the thing that it normally does. You know, if you're very tired, you have a good night's sleep, you wake up and you're on your bicycle and ready to go again. Just one day I woke up after a night's sleep and I felt terrible and I thought, oh, I've got the flu. I'll try to sleep it off. And seven days later, I still had that thing. And, and like 20 years later, I still have that thing. So um, I've had to learn to operate it like... I always liked... Because I was, you know, I was on my dad's program, a competitive, be the first, be the guy. And when I hit church and hit, met Jesus, I was like, I'll be the guy at the service the earliest. I'm going to take notes. I'm going to do set down. I'll do set up. I'll do all that stuff because I like, I like going for it, you know, and getting it done. And so it's been quite humbling because I'm not the guy. I can't always be the guy. Um, so I just the, I feel like what God has asked us to do in this is just to show up with what we have and trust that what we have is enough for him to use. Um, and so far, so good. Yeah. He, he, he helps us in our weaknesses. It's a promise. So, yeah. That's amazing. Sure. But I, I can't imagine, yeah, it must be incredibly difficult to, to come to terms with that as well. And also the fact that, are oh, you being enough then for your kids? So I'm sure it's been a, a journey for both of you guys. Um, but sure. And Dan, talking about just difficult times, you recently lost your father, um, and obviously you're on the other side of the world, you're trying to get back in time. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that and the difficulty of that season? Yeah, so um, it's kind of tough when your dad, you know, your your dad's like an anchor to you in in a lot of ways. And uh, in some ways, that's an absolute benefit because it gives you grounding and all those amazing things. But in other ways, it can also be, like my wife, she had, didn't have a dad growing up. Her dad was absent completely. And she had to find her own anchor in the Lord. Um, for me, it was, it was the other way around. I always thought, like, my dad's my, you know, my anchor. And so when he passed away, it was, it was a really tough thing for me, especially because 
there was some stuff that went on before that that you know really rocked our faith and my parents ended up separated again towards the end of their life so it's quite disappointing um, and so walking through um, you know your faith and and you know the the message for me was then like you've got to keep your eyes on the Lord you can't put any man no matter who it is if it's your earthly father or if it's your pastor or if it's anybody you really can't substitute that place for God yeah, uh, in your good. life no matter how good your dad was or good your dad is uh, because man will always let you down yes. and um, and we've seen it over the years with the other pastors that I was friends with that were the you know the incredible families that we looked up to cra- like crazy growing up that have sub- subsequently had tough times there's only one family out of the four or five big church pastor families that we grew up around that are still intact or, or haven't gone somehow in a weird way uh, so when my dad passed away, it was very really tough for us. Uh, and then you're obviously taking up the mantle then as the, as the, as the patriarch of your family. Uh, and so you realize suddenly that everybody's looking at you when you, you, know, mm. you don't necessarily feel like you're at the age yet where you, that should be going on. Yeah. And I think some other people have that even at a younger age when you're super young and then you're the man of the home, you know. Um, but yeah, but it, it, was, yeah, it was super tough just tr- trying to walk through that and, and just rediscover my faith for myself, but mm. it's, it's, it's been a, a long journey, as my wife would probably tell you. Yeah, thanks, Ben. Thanks for sharing. Um, maybe a couple more questions. One is, uh, you guys travel a lot, both of you, so you, and I know the whole Nashville thing, I mean, you did it for a long time with Tree as well. You leave on a Thursday, you gig the weekend, you come back Monday, you're home like a couple of days, and then you're off again. How have you guys, I, I don't think it's as hectic as that at the moment for you guys both, but how have you managed that in the season of especially trying to be fathers, what, what are some of the things that you've done? Because it is your job, and there's some of us here in the room probably that travel for business, but what are some of the things you've done to be intentional around making sure that you can be a good father? You go first. Uh, well, it's a challenge, right? It's, it's hard, and nobody lives in the perfect environment. It's not like, it's not a TV show. We're actually living in real life. <laughs> Real life, is, real life is challenging, and if you live any amount of time, you get to know that. The longer you live, the more you know it. Um, uh, one of the challenging things for us was we were traveling a lot, and then um, my, my youngest, Lulu, s- sat me down and said, hey, Dad, I don't like it when you go away, she said to me. So I was like, well, Daddy's got to work, you know? Like, uh, we can't live in this house or eat this food if I don't work. And she said, well, can't you work closer to home? And um, I'm like this four-year-old. <laughs> she's way too articulate. That's what I was thinking. And, um, but it was almost like the whisper of God to us. And over the course of about nine months, we, we felt like God was saying, hey, slow it down. Um, this little one needs you home. Which was super inconvenient for all of us, really. Um, not just our family, you know, our group of families to slow it down like that. Um, but so far, so good. I don't regret the decision, even though it was pretty difficult and there were moments financially where we were like, I've made a terrible mistake. Um, but we, yeah, we, God brought us through. He brought us through that. Yeah. yeah, I think Sam, adding to that, um, <clears throat> you know, whether you're doing it for God or you're doing it for your you know, works or whatever it is, uh, you're gonna pay the price for being away from your family. You know, you're going to pay the price in, in some way. You can't just get away with it. You know, if you're away, it's, it's going to, you're going to have to wear it somewhere else. And it's been tough for us. My wife often has felt like a single mom 
you know, and especially with my family being here um, and her having no support base. You know, the, the thing we've realized the most is obviously you want community and you need community. And if you're going to travel, you're going to need, A, you're going to need friends that are close to you that you can always connect with because uh, God works through our, through, our, through our community and through our friends to help you be accountable, to help you just walk with, with them. Uh, and then just being, you know, uh, my, my kids have, have, I've seen them, um, and it's kind of sad when, when you're leaving to go away for a while and they, and they just go, hey, it's yours, dad, see you later, as if you're just walking out the door. And then I see other families, you know, their dad's going away for one week on a, on a business trip and the kids are crying at the airport with a sign, welcome home, daddy. <laughs> and I'm like, my kids, when I come back from a trip, they're like, what's up, man? Okay. So it's just kind of, and when my daughter was two, or two years old, I was packing my bags once to go away. When we were still with Tree, we were traveling a lot. And, uh, and I looked in my suitcase and I saw all this weird little shoes and little stuff and she'd been packing her stuff in there to try and come with me and I had to actually take that out of the case and my heart was like ah so it was very heartbreaking um but I think God's grace is sufficient for all these things and um and obviously it's a journey but uh just being willing to like now every chance we get to try and keep me more home those are the decisions I try and make to, to be at home as much as possible uh, so that I, especially as they get older you think kids will lead you, need you less and less the older they get but it's not the way it is yeah. they, they need you more and more the older they get wow. oh, that's good man I hope this is connecting with everyone here today maybe just last question because then we're out of time um, we spoke a little bit about some of the hurt the brokenness we prayed about it earlier I think and as you said life is life is hard and sometimes I think the perception perhaps I'm sure you would get it you know people look hey Brenton Brown written some awesome songs, travels around the world, like uh, Daniel on Alice 363, everything looks great. But at the core of it, every person has struggles. And sometimes you, you have to go through things that maybe other people would never even know about because also you live a little bit of a public life as well. But something maybe as we close the conversation today is you guys went through a very difficult time. Um, your wife fell pregnant with your first child and it didn't turn out the way that you'd hoped you were going to be a father. Do you want to maybe just, because I know everyone's got hurt and pain here, and I think sometimes just speaking into that will, will help and encourage someone. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, our, our first uh, baby girl, um, everything was going good. We, we ha we're having a great pregnancy. Um, I've actually got little voice memos of, of a heartbeat and the doctor saying, yep, she's great weight, everything's normal, she went to full term um, and uh, everything was looking good, on, we were on track, we named her, we knew she was a little girl, her name was Grace Isabella and, um, and then uh, a couple of days after due date, um, before Jude had been induced, she said to me, I can't feel any movement in my tummy and we were just like, I'm sure it's nothing but we'll go into hospital and, um, and check it out. And, uh, and they actually induced her um, and she delivered and Grace was born dead already. Um, and uh, yeah, tough for sure, the toughest thing we faced, we've had tough things happen, but that was that's probably the toughest. And just watching my, my wife go through that was just so hard because we were we went to like the, the place where babies get born and all around us we can hear little babies being born, but she, you know, 
I, I still can't listen to sonograms without being taken straight back to that moment. Um, and it was absolutely uh, devastating and horrific was one of the terms I, I didn't, I didn't, I never associated difficult things with horror, but it was, it felt like horror because it was so, like such a shock and such a surprise. Um, but uh, God did, God did show up there. <laughs> it's hard to imagine or even say, but when grace arrived and it was a natural delivery, that, like my instinct was like, can we, can we do a C-section maybe and, and speed up this process? Um, and they said, no, it's better if you do a, a natural delivery. So it was like a day and a half of, of this. It was traumatic. But when she arrived, we just felt this gratitude from God for the life that she had lived, even though it was nine months um, inside of Jude. And uh, a friend of ours, um, Beth Redman, actually said, you know, every, quoted that verse, every day of our lives is written in his book. Um, there's nothing you can do to change or take away from that. And this little girl lived that life. And when she came out, we, we had this, this is the